that really it's just life in the spirit <coughs> as far as because I think life in the spirit transcends things so the Romans were worse than the Nazis as far as when they occupied lands <coughs> and just a dude it just the spirit transcends yeah. these little thorns and and pecks and or big ones things like that you, you, you know yeah absolutely what good would the spirit be if it didn't transcend that uh, right exactly I mean, mm-hmm. then we'd be left to the devices in the world right. mm-hmm. all the time and then woe is us let us drink and eat for tomorrow we die <laughs> right I mean that's what life would consist of that's what life consists of when you th- when you're in, think you're in death yeah right yes yeah so the hair thing you know Samson the, the vow of the Nazarene the reason why you wouldn't take a scalp to your hair is because the scalp represented the strength of man's hands and so you were supposed to be set apart Oh. Right unto uh, the strength in God's hands, mm-hmm. and so that's why Samson wouldn't cut his hair, and that's what it represented. It didn't represent that his strength came from his hair; right. it was symbolic. <laughs> it represented that his strength came from God and not a man's hands. Sure. Which is why, in the end, even though his hair had been cut, he pulls down the pillars of the Philistines, mm-hmm. and he, he, you know, takes had, out the whole army. Takes out the whole army. Yeah. Right? right? Yeah. That's cool. What do you guys want to talk about? What's on your heart? Really? Nobody has anything. On my heart is the goodness of God, how wonderful he is. Mm. Amen. Yeah. I was thinking the other this morning and actually yesterday too about what a unique community we have mm-hmm. we, we went to dinner with Matt and Annette and it was like we'd known each other for a hundred years and it was just What's up, man? The, the neat thing that you can sit down and have the foundation of Christ and everything goes builds up from that but that it the, I think the gospel has changed all of us uh, dr- dramatically or radically mm-hmm over the past couple of years, 10 years, however, whatever time frame you want to put on that. But um, it's just a real joy to, uh, to look around and see. And we were talking about, well, what if we were to move away? And I don't think we could do that because we could never leave the family. Right? Oh, God, that didn't work. Yeah, no, it doesn't, it doesn't work, right? And the fact that people are moving here to be part of the family speaks volumes of what the Spirit is doing in our little community here. I just think that's awesome. Yeah. I think it's awesome. Yeah, I mean, here, here, man. We're talking about... Bugs may drive me out. Oh my goodness! We didn't see one bug in Colorado. Not one yeah. whole week. The Spirit can overcome anything but bugs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah gnats are... are, are <laughs> then you know it's biting her. Yeah, there's no mosquitoes. There's no bugs in, in no, we Colorado. We didn't see not one bug no. <laughs> of any kind. The altitude is not conducive. Right. The dry air is not conducive to, to bugs. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. So community is important. Yeah. Yeah. It's huge. Very important. 
It was nice to meet um, Rick's son and his daughter. Oh, y'all got to meet them? Oh, yeah, because uh, they're staying with you. Oh, they were so, so nice. And when you hear Andrew, you kind of hear Rick. <laughs> they sound a lot alike. <laughs> really nice uh, people. Are they going to be here today? They're already gone back. Oh, they've already gone back. Yeah, they yeah. They flew back yesterday. So. Rick was born in him. Yes, yes, honestly. Right, the Word made flesh. Yes. Right, you behold God and God's born in you. Yeah, and Rick has all these contractor skills and Andrew the same. Yeah. Really cool. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. I never picked up any of that from my dad. That's okay. He put the fear of death in me quickly. God and had I didn't different... want to mess with any of that. Yeah, God had a different purpose for you, which is beautiful. I'll never forget that day. He looked at me all serious. And this is what will happen to your finger if you do it this way. And I was like, okay. Six years old. Man, he wasn't trying to like put the fear of death in me, man. But I went white as a ghost and nearly fainted, you know? Because you take things seriously. Hey, well, no, he takes things serious. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's a reason why I take things so seriously. Thank God that he shifted that to the gospel, and that's the only thing I take seriously now. But man, yeah, my mom and dad take things seriously. How is Hallelujah. your dad doing? I think he's doing better. Awesome. Yeah. Good. You want to talk about what you guys heard this morning? Actually, I got to thinking about uh, in Romans 7, we're, we're all familiar with it, what Paul said, the thing that I want to do, I find myself not doing, and the thing that I don't want to do, I find myself doing. It's because there's this eternity is born in our heart, and that eternity, that, that life, it's, it's full of truth. Okay, so we, we have a knowing of, of what truth is. We have a knowing of right and wrong. We have a knowing of, of what it is that we're supposed to do and not do. We know, we know we shouldn't be involved in things that hurt people. And, but in, in the context of what he's talking about there, he, he got to talking about the body of death as the thing that prevented him from doing that. And I got to thinking, well, why, why is that? Why... Why would, why would not having eternal life prevent you from doing the things that you know you shouldn't be involved in? Things that you know is going to hurt other people. I mean, we all have a knowing that the fruit of the Spirit should be in our life. We all have a knowing that the love of God should be in our life. And, but that body of death puts us in a place where we're trying to... We understand that we can't pull it off in our own strength, so we just back away from it. And the reason we, the, the, the thing that causes us to back away from it is that through living life, we have discovered that there is no power in a lie. Yeah. And the, the lie, it, the thought that you can pull it off in your own strength, eventually you'll come to a place where you'll just give up and quit. Mm -hmm. And that's where Paul was. He said, I want to do it. I know I should do it. And I can't find the power in it to do it. Mm -hmm. but, then, but then I started looking at some other things at, at where a lot of the churches today, there's, there's this big, huge emphasis on identity. And, and we, can, we can get a logical concept of that, of truth that we are a son of God. But yet, that I've, in my life, I've not found that I've not found the power in that to put my flesh to rest. 
because it has to be, Jesus said you'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. Well, it's not just having a knowledge of that, that knowing there, it's an intimate, right. it's an intimacy with that truth. And that truth is contained in the life of God. And the thing I have found is now that I, if I spend time fellowshipping with that life of God, that very life that raised Jesus from the dead, and I see it in that, in, 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 in the resurrection of Jesus, and as I fellowship with that, and as I commune with that, all of a sudden that truth becomes born on the inside of me so that the things I have learned concerning identity actually start coming into play and start having some meaning and do have the power to put my flesh to rest because what I learned in not being able to pull off the things that I knew that I should be doing, now all of a sudden there's a strength that comes in but that strength is beyond something that just empowers me to do that. All of a sudden, I find that strength doing it for me. Right. And all of a sudden, it becomes absolutely effortless. Like the garden. It's it a grows up and you know not how. <laughs> Cliché Christianity. Yeah. Where we see all these phrases, we look at those phrases, we say they're good, they're right, the phrases are true, mm -hmm. but they're just cliches mm -hmm. because we have no understanding behind them. Right. right. So we read that we're the sons of God, the daughters of God, and we read that statement and it sounds good, it sounds right, and we say, amen, we're the sons and daughters of God if we just knew, which is a true statement, but it, it becomes like a cliché. Right, because then you never un get into understanding what it is that persuades someone of sonship or daughterhood. Right, what did it? What is it that God used to declare sonship and daughterhood? He used the son. But what? 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 What about the son? It wasn't just the son. What is it that he did to declare sonship? Because that, if we if we say identity is important. Meaning, we just need to know that we're the sons and daughters of God. Right. Then we ought to get to what is it that convinces the human heart that they're the sons and daughters of God? What is it that works against the human heart, believing they're the sons and daughters of God? And then we ought to speak about those things so that it isn't just a cliche. So we begin to understand. So when God wanted to convince mankind that we were his sons, what did he use to convince us? And what did he see was working against us believing? Right? And that's what we would want to come to an understanding of. And if you read John, it says, in that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen, which we have touched, which we have handled, of the word of life. Then he goes on to say, what manner of life? So he's talking about the word of life. Right. Meaning, the life of the Father manifested inside of the flesh of this man, Jesus Christ. Right? That's what he means when he talks about the word of life. Right. And then he goes on, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. What's he talking about? How did the Father bestow upon us love by calling us sons? By manifesting his life inside of the flesh of the human being, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Right? right? And so it's the life of God that persuades the heart of sonship. And if you're not talking about the life of God and what that life looks like, and you're not talking about what works against you being persuaded you have that life, then you're really not talking identity. You're talking cliches. That's what you're talking. You're just talking cliches that are true and they sound right, which is why we spend so much time with cliches, right? 
it started off as a powerful thing, but when John talked about us being the sons and daughters of God, it meant something to him. It wasn't a cliche. And so we ought to ask ourselves, what, what does he mean when he says that? What is it that caused him to even think that? Let's be busy with what caused him to think that. So then we think the same thing he thought. Because he wasn't busy with the cliche. <laughs> Do you see what I'm saying? He was busy with a deep persuasion. When Jesus thought of himself as the Son of God, he wasn't busy with the cliche. And he wasn't just thinking that I'm beautiful to God. Because, listen man, in the day that you find yourself standing in death, in the death of the cross, everything in the world is telling you you ain't beautiful to God. And even if you are beautiful to God, that ain't helping me now as I'm nailed to this tree. What will help me now as I'm being nailed to this tree? What will help me now is to see that the Father has bestowed his life upon me. Because in seeing that the life I have, even in this mortal body that's dying, has come from above and will even overcome death inside of this flesh, listen, man, that is the power to persuade you of your sonship while the world is nailing you to a tree. Yep. And so the thing that works against us, walking in our identity or walking in sonship, is identifying with the life we have from the world. Yes. It's essentially calling the world our father. Mm -hmm. Right? When you identify with the life in the world, that will prevent you from walking in sonship. That will prevent you from finding your life strengthened by the, the, the truth of being a son or a daughter of God. Because the life that's in the world doesn't come from the Father. And the love of the Father is not contained in the life that's from the world. That's why we talked all the time about uh, looking for love in all the wrong places. We looking to feel loved by the Father from the life that's in the world. Well, the Father ain't giving birth to the life that's in the world. So how are we going to find the love of the Father in the life that's in the world? We're not. You know where we're going to find the love of the Father? In the life he has in himself. Which life he manifested inside of the flesh of Jesus when he raised him from the dead. That's when God called us sons and daughters. Through That's how he did it. That was him speaking. Him manifesting his life. In his immortality, inside of the flesh of this man Jesus, was God saying, you're my son, you're my daughter. I'm your father. That is him saying that. So it, the way I'm going to be persuaded of my sonship is by hearing the voice of the father. Well, the voice of the father manifested in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Yeah. So if I want to be persuaded that I'm a son, then I'm going to be busy with the life that manifested inside of the body of Jesus' resurrection instead of the life that's manifested inside of this corruptible world. You see? That's why we struggle. That's why Jesus didn't struggle, even when death came. So the life that's in this world stands against you walking in the power of sonship or daughterhood. Yes. Because it's all the time communicating a life to you that, guess what? Isn't the life of the Father. Right. So it's communicating a testimony to you of a life that isn't the life of the Father, even if you don't understand this before I say it. Subconsciously, unless you're thinking your life looks like the Father's life, you ain't never going to walk in the power of sonship. And the world is all the time painting a picture of your life using the things in this world that don't look like the Father's life. And so that's why our hearts are struggling to believe that we're the sons and daughters of God. Or that's why for years we could say we're the sons and daughters of God. And even at the beginning of grace, we're the sons and daughters of God. And all that meant to us is we're beautiful to God. He doesn't think we're disgusting. 
He, he doesn't despise us for our bad deeds. He doesn't think we're ugly for all of our missteps. Oh, hallelujah. Listen, man, there was a lot of relief in that. But the only good that worked was to get you from thinking that you were a dog on the outside of the house in the yard to realizing you could be in the house. And once you realized you could be in the house because you're beautiful to God, now instead of hearing God's voice like it was a distant thing, a distant sound that you don't really know what he's saying, you just hear somebody yelling, you're in the house and you're close enough with him to look him in the face and hear what he really wants to say to you, right? right? right. Which is this life he's given us. That's what he really wants to talk to you about because that's what will persuade you of sonship. That's what will persuade you of identity. And something I found in Christianity is, man, we're experts in the cliches. We are experts in the cliches. And we rejoice in the cliches. Oh, hallelujah. We can see there's power there. But then we have no idea the power that's actually contained there. And we don't busy ourselves with those, the, the root of those cliches and what is actually contained there. And so we spend all our lives tossed to and fro, right? When... We, things are going well, we're like, we're the sons and daughters of God. Hallelujah. But the moment things are going bad, where's God now? Right. Am I really? Right? What that tells us is that we're busying ourselves with the life that's in the world. We know in the Father is only light and life. So if we think we have good, the good in the world going right for us, then we feel like the sons of daughter, and daughters of God because we say his life is good and look at our life, our life is good now too. Right? But, but the, the, the things we're using to identify our life are, as good is corruptible things. Yes, exactly. And so the moment they become corrupted, now here we are, where's God now? Because we haven't been busy with his life. We haven't been busy with the life he manifested. The power for, the, the power for you to be persuaded of sonship is contained in God. It ain't contained in you. And he demonstrated his strength to persuade you of sonship by manifesting his life inside of the flesh of Jesus. Yes. And so that's where the strength to be persuaded that you're the son and the daughter of God is contained. Mm -hmm. So if you want to be persuaded, then you fix your gaze upon that. And you talk with God about that. And not just a cliche, cliche that Jesus was raised from the dead. What does it mean that he was raised from the dead? What does it mean that there's a life that overcomes death in the flesh? Right. What does it mean there's a life that can't be overcome by darkness and lack and tribulation? What does it mean to have this life? And you start talking about the fact that you have a life that makes everything straight. You have a life that swallows darkness. You have a life that even consumes death to the uttermost, to where it's not seen anymore. You have a life that can never be overcome. You have a life that can't be added to. It can't be taken from. When you start busying yourself with that life, all of a sudden a persuasion will come to your heart. Will you say there's only one person who has a life like that? It's God. And if I have that life too, it must mean I'm his son. It must mean I'm his daughter. Hallelujah. Now when death comes and it tries to persuade you that you're not God's son, you're not his daughter, or where's your God now? If he really is your father, let him come for you. When that death comes knocking on the door, it has nothing in you to convince you you're an orphan because all of a sudden you're thinking of a life that overcomes death. And so you're thinking the Father's life overcomes death. And in that he manifested that life inside of the flesh of Jesus, that means he's gifted me that life. Mm. That's the life I have. And so you're, you're thinking like a son. Right. 
And a son, when he sees death, doesn't think that death can overcome him. A son, when he sees death, is thinking of the father's life that overcomes death. And the son starts thinking how the life he has from the father is going to overcome this death. Hallelujah. Yeah. Right? Right. And instead of being filled with all lack, you're filled with all abundance. Mm -hmm. Right? That's when you start grabbing the baskets and you see five fish and three loaves. And you're not thinking about that's not enough. You start thinking about that's more than enough. That's right. And next thing you know, it is more than enough. <laughs> because you're busy with the life that has no bottom to it. It can't bottom out. Right. It can't run dry. It can't be found <coughs> empty. It can't be found lacking. You can take and take and take and take from this life, and it's still filled above the measure. <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. So when you see things going wrong around you, your heart feels full because you see the life that you have in the Father. But we haven't been talking about that life. And you know what? It's a sin to talk about that life. Because we need to have the American dream, don't you know? Mm. It's a sin to say we can't find life in the world because we need to have all these good things to have life. Right? Nobody wants to hear that. They don't want to hear it. Listen, I counted the cost of saying all these things a long time ago. And I promise you, I didn't think the end result was church growth. <laughs> the end result... Of us all coming in and fellowshipping with the death Jesus died on the cross yeah. and fellowshipping with what that means does not pack the rows. No. Because people want to hear how they can have the good from the world. People want to hear how they're going to get the world around them to line up with what they want. They want you to tell them how they can get everything they want from the world to give themselves satisfaction. That's what they want to hear. Well, I ain't going to say that. And in fact, I'm going to take that thought and I'm going to nail it to the tree every single day. Every single day I'm going to do that. Yes. That ain't what people want to hear. No. So I counted the cost a long time ago. And I counted it joy. Right? Because that is the only thing that can actually satisfy. Right? It's like when I was a little toddler. I thought I knew what I needed. And if my mom and dad wouldn't give it to me, I would throw a fit. Who do you think knew what I needed? Me or them? Them. No. Now imagine if they caved to what I decided I needed when I was two or three and I was a toddler and they just gave that to me. How do you think that would work out for my life? Well, that's the kind of thing you can have going on. And it's not to say they're toddlers in the sense like they're babies in a natural sense. But in the sense of spiritual maturity, most of the church is still stuck in the place where they're not even ready for milk, much less meat. Well, I'm not going to let their thoughts about what they need for life tell me what it is that they actually need for life. Mm. Because I've had my senses exercised to the point where I know good and evil. Meaning, I know that which can produce life. I know that which can satisfy the human heart. And I know that which looks good for food promises to be able to satisfy, but can never satisfy at all. And I'm going to do that because that's what will actually help people, even if they don't like it, mm -hmm. even if they throw a fit, even if, well, I'll never come there then. <laughs> well, hallelujah. <laughs> yes. Cliche Christianity, man. We yeah. say things like justifi justification. It's cliche. We don't even know what that means. Exactly. We don't even know what goes down yeah. with that. Right. Like, at least we, we come to the place where we say, oh, we're not justified by works, we're justified by faith. Well, what does that mean? I promise you, if we put the microphone around and ask people, what does it mean to be justified by faith? 
A whole lot of people would have a whole lot of problems describing that. But this is the, the, the beginning of wisdom in the church, in the early church. Right. right? What does it mean that we're justified by faith? What are we justified from? What are we justified by? Mm. Right? Mm -hmm. How, why does that work? You see, when you start wrapping your heart around these things, it gives you discerning of spirits. Yes. Where you begin to discern the voice of the accuser. You begin to discern the voice of the father. You begin to hear the voice of the father louder than the voice of the accuser. You begin to find the voice of the father rebuking the voice of accusation yep. that's in the earth as yes. you walk in the earth. When you see what these things are really about. Because you see how things have something in you. You begin to understand, why does this have something in me? How does the voice of accusation get something in me? Where does it come from? And then you begin to understand what God did to deal with it. And then your mind becomes filled with the power of God to rebuke the voice of accusation. Right. And you start finding that voice of accusation rebuked. Yeah. Right? Yes. That's how the thing works. Yep. Yeah, listen... Some people get upset because we go into so much detail. The reason we go into so much detail is because cliche Christianity has been killing people for hundreds of years. Yep. Yes. Where most of the church doesn't even understand anything that happened in the gospel or why it happened right. and where the power of it is found. And so that's why we go into the detail because all the apostles knew these things and they went around preaching them and writing about them nonstop. And it, what, they weren't cliches to them. It meant something deeply profound to them that they found... Um, transformed their lives, right? And so that's that's why we we get into all those things. So yes, like Matt said, identity is good, but what convinces of identity? Well, let's be busy with what convinces of identity instead of saying identity is good, because <laughs> then we might find identity planted in people, <laughs> right? We might find people walking in the power of sonship and daughterhood if they actually understood where the power to be convinced of that is. Why was Jesus so convinced? What convinced him? Was it just that he used his willpower? We know that can't be it because he said there's one who's good. If we think Jesus was just so good that he knew, then we're right back to Jesus by his own strength believed. But Jesus said there's one who's good. Even the Father. So what Jesus say, is saying is that the Father persuaded me of sonship. How did, that, how did the Father do that? How was he persuaded? What tried to work against Jesus being persuaded of that? Right? The world. The life that was in the world. I mean, when Satan came to Jesus and said, are you really the Son of God? What was going on in Jesus' life when he asked him that? You know, we've all heard that voice. That, that was giving us eyes to see our life. We've all heard the voice in our heart. Are you really God's son? Are you really God's daughter? We've all heard that voice. When did Jesus hear that voice? When he was being nailed to the tree and death was manifesting in his life. You want to know when we hear the voice? When we're being nailed to a tree and death is manifesting in our life. And you see how it tries to use the death to convince us. It uses the death to accuse us and accuse God. And so what would work against that? Is if the human heart could be persuaded that they have the very life of God, an incorruptible life, right? Mm -hmm. 
Because the moment that death started trying to communicate that they lack and God lacks, right. immediately their heart would think, but God has given of himself to me his very life as a gift. So God can't lack. This death can't mean God lacks because God's given me a life that overcomes death. Mm -hmm. So it can't mean God lacks. And if I have a life that overcomes death, it can't mean I lack. Abba! Right. You see? I'm describing the dynamics in the human heart. And it's important for us to know this because so many times, man, we could just be throwing a fit. And I don't mean that in a negative way. We could just be throwing a fit in our emotions, in our confusion, in our pain, in our hurt. We could just be throwing a fit, not understanding what's going on in our heart, not understanding why this fit has come upon us. And I'm trying to tell you what I'm discerning your heart for you so you can begin to understand what's happening in you when this goes down. Because what will happen is you'll start connecting to the truth. When these things start going down, you'll start to understand what's happening right now. It'll make sense to you that you could be feeling like throwing a fit. And you can see exactly where it's coming from, right? And then you can start thinking of the life that you have from the Father. That will discern the thoughts and intents of your heart. And like a two-edged, sharper than a two-edged sword, like a two-edged sword, it will circumcise your heart from lack. Because how can you lack if you have a life that swallows lack? That's right. How can you? You can. You can. And so that's the whole point. Well, this lack that I feel is a sign that God isn't with me caring for my life. Oh, except God gave me a life that swallows lack. Oh, that is him caring for my life. Hallelujah. <laughs> Once that persuasion hits, it produces something in your heart to where all of a sudden you're not running from the cross. You're running toward it. You betcha. So bring it, Jack. Yeah. That's what happened to the early church. I mean... Mm. They, they they saw something and they were willing to go toward being burned at the stake. Even if you gather every good thing in the world, even if you situate everything in the world to the place that you say is perfectly, it's perfect, that can't persuade your heart that you have an incorruptible life. And so God can't satisfy the lack you feel by doing that. That wouldn't be him being father. No. That would him be that would be him being the thief. Mm. We're calling upon the name of the thief when we call out to God. <laughs> and we, we, we don't understand that we're what we're busy with. Right? And so he knows the only thing that can persuade us of sonship is if we can have a life that overcomes all lack. He sees the life that the world has fathered can't overcome lack. He sees the life that the world has fathered. Even if during your life here, you get everything to line up perfectly, that life still ends up in the dust, in the grave. And so that life could never tell us that we have a life that overcomes lack. And so as a good father, he wants to give us a life that will overcome lack. And so that's what he comes and he does. Now, you can enjoy things in the world, and you can have things in the world. And listen, you could be so persuaded that you have a life that overcomes all things that you could pull a silver coin out of a fish's mouth. You could multiply fishes and loaves. You can walk on water. You could be so persuaded that you're a son and a daughter. You could find that manifesting out of you. But those things manifesting are not the power to persuade you of sonship. That's right. Right? And if you think they are, then you're identifying with the life in the world, 
right? Jesus, when the, when the serpent said to Jesus, when Satan said to Jesus, if you are the Son of God, turn these stones into bread. What did Jesus say? You think Jesus didn't know he could turn those stones into bread? Oh, sure he did. Well, why didn't he? Because it wasn't on to life. It didn't matter. He knew that the stones being turned to bread was not the power to satisfy his heart with life. Right. And so why would he do that? <laughs> you see? He looked at the good he could gain from the world. He actually said, I have all ability to gather every good thing that's in the world to myself. He was in the likeness of Solomon. Or Solomon was in his likeness. He saw that he had the ability to gather all good things to himself. But even should I do that, that doesn't possess the, the power to overcome the weakness of this mortal body. It doesn't possess the power to overcome death in this flesh. It doesn't possess the power to bring forth the life of the Father. Right? Right. So it can't satisfy me. Even should I gather all the good things in the world to myself, it can't persuade me I'm a son of God. It can't persuade me I'm the son. So why would I do that? That's what the servant's basically telling Jesus. Mm -hmm. Prove you're the son. Persuade yourself you're the son. Yeah. Turn those stones into bread. Yeah. Persuade me. Persuade the world. No, no, no. No. Do you guys see that? The whole sonship, daughterhood thing. That's why you focus on the resurrection. That's why we don't exalt human beings. But you find somebody talking this language. They're busy with the Father, is what they're busy with. And they're busy with the life that comes from the Father. Yes. And you want to walk with them as they walk with the Father. Yeah. Because you'll find your, your heart being established in sonship. You'll find your heart being established in daughterhood. Right? And you'll find that you're able to encourage them in the same truth. Mm -hmm. Right? But that's the, the, what you want to be walking together inside of. That's what we all need. Every single one of us had heard, are you really God's child? Are you really God's son and God's daughter? What was the power to bring that thought forth? Did you ever think that thought when everything was going great? Nope. <laughs> Did you ever think, where's God now when everything was going great? Okay, well that ought to tell you what the voice of the serpent sounds like and what he uses or where it comes from. Death is the voice of accusation in the earth. Lack is the voice of accusation in the earth. Tribulation is the voice of accusation in the earth. The lack that you think you see in your life, man, that's the voice of the serpent trying to tell you. That's what he kind of said when he have ears to hear. That's right. Hear the right message. Have ears to hear. When you were talking, the first thing that came to my mind, put your hearing aids in. <laughs> That's exactly what I heard. Put your hearing aids in and hear what I've got to say, not what the world's telling you. That's good. Yes. Um, and that's why John says, love not the world. And that comes from my wife. Put my hearing aids <laughs> Well, it says that wisdom that stands in the marketplace and cries, you know. <laughs> Every day, you just put your hearing aids in so you can hear the right stuff. <laughs> so when you were talking, it just resonated right in Yeah, glory to God. And so listen, we, we want to draw these natural conclusions. If 
we never feel like, where's God now when things are going great? Then that tells us what the serpent uses against us. Yeah. Right. Okay, well, once you see the, the vices of the serpent and what he uses against you and what he tries to do to slander God in your sight, then it's easy to see what's the proper medication for that. What's the proper solution to that? What is it that's going to save my heart from that voice? In the, that's what's called the day of temptation. That's what the day of temptation is. Well, you know what's going to save your heart in that day? Seeing that God has gifted you of himself his incorruptible life. A life that there is no lack in. A life that swallows lack. That's what will save you. Right? That's why you set your gaze upon the resurrection of Jesus. That's why I talk so much about his life is your life. Right? You'll find the masterpiece song, Born in Your Heart, even if you don't know what it is. We drew soldiers. We don't die. We keep rolling. Na, 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 na. Do you see what was coming up out of his heart? Do you know why he even sang that song or wrote that lyric? Because he grew up in a project where he had a 50-50 chance, if you were a male, of being dead by the time you were 18 years old. And so in the face of all the death he saw surrounding him, telling him, this is what wild up inside of this guy. We drew soldiers. We don't die. We keep rolling. Na, 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 na. Mm -hmm. You see the voice of accusation that was in his community. And do you see how he dealt with the voice of accusation? That's what God comes to give birth to inside of you. Right. Because you're in a community that's surrounded by lack and death. And it's got a million different angles to point at. All of us probably have a different angle in our life where we think we lack. Well, God come to give us his life that doesn't lack. So the same thing wells up inside of us as the community we're in. The life we're surrounded by is telling us that we lack yes. and that we're being overcome. God gives us his life in the spirit of his son. That life abides in us. It rebukes the devourer. It keeps our heart blameless in the day of temptation. And we start saying things like, we drew soldiers. We don't die. We keep rolling. Na, 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 na. <laughs> strange for you but some of us don't know that song I know <laughs> but it's the words that are important okay. <laughs> you, you probably don't want to know it okay. it's the words that I just quoted that are important yes I gotcha it's the spirit behind I love it. what's being said yes. and why he said that yes. right Yeah. exactly <laughs> exactly right what's the answer if I think my life lacks a life that doesn't lack Where's the only life that doesn't lack? We're all old enough in here. Listen, we put forth great, great energy and, and, and great uh, efforts to perfect our lives. All of us in here have. Have any of you removed the lack from yourself? Nope. <laughs> Do you know why? Because the life that's in the world can't remove lack. There's no power there. So who's the only one that has a life that doesn't lack? Father. God. Guess what? He has bestowed upon you that life that not only doesn't lack, it removes lack. Yes. Right? He has bestowed that on us. That's why John would come and say, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us. Mm. That's why he felt loved. Because he saw, he longed for a life that didn't lack. And he saw the Father's the only one with the life that doesn't lack. 
And the end that this guy came and gave me of himself, that same life that doesn't lack, mm. my goodness, it must mean that he loves me. Yeah. Right. And if he loves me, it must, and he's given me this life, this life testifies in my heart that I am mm-hmm. the son of God. I am the daughter of God. He is my father. Right. Right. Mm. character with him is a thing to be it's reality as opposed to blasphemy as the church would say that being justified you have equity of character with him as a son that's right that's awesome that's absolutely and what are we justified from from inheriting the voice of the accusation the accusation that's in the earth right how does he justify us? By coming and giving us his life. Yes. That's why it's called the justification of life. <laughs> From the accuser of the brethren. To be justified means for God to create within you a heart that is blameless. Mm-hmm. Blameless when? In the day of temptation. Blameless when? When the death in the world starts trying to accuse you yes. and starts trying to accuse God. Yes. He justifies you from those accusations inside of your heart through the power of his indestructible life. Right. How can death tell you you're being destroyed when you have an indestructible life? (laughs) How can death tell you God isn't your father when the life you have has come from the father? Your heart remains blameless. God, that's innocence. God works innocence in your heart. Innocence is the inability to believe that you're not as you ought to be. Right. The inability to believe that you're not as you ought to be. The world is all the time trying to point at you and tell you you're not as you ought to be. Well, I tell you what, we all inherently know the state that is as it ought to be is a state that's possessing an eternal life, an incorruptible life, a life that doesn't lack. We all know inherently that that's the state we were created to be in, a state where we have everything that's needed to partake of life. Well, the world is all the time trying to tell us you're not as you ought to be because look, look at this death. You don't have everything you need to partake of life. Right. Well, God comes and justifies us from that accusation and he comes to persuade us that we are in the state we ought to be in and the only thing that can persuade our hearts of that is to possess an incorruptible life mm-hmm. because we all know something's amiss if we don't have an incorruptible life. We all feel something's amiss if we see lack in our life. Something tells us it's not right. That's the voice of accusation. God comes to rebuke that voice, to create in us a heart that is uh, unable to be blamed by the death that's in this world, by giving us a life that's incorruptible. Mm -hmm. And then nothing can tell us we're in a state that that we're not supposed to be in. No, I'm in a state of life, an incorruptible life. One of the meanings of justification is the state of one who is as he ought to be. Mm-hmm. Well, when you're in death, you do not think you are in the state you ought to be in. <laughs> That's why you don't like it. That's right. <laughs> no one had to tell you not to like it. No. <laughs> no one had to teach you not to like it when you feel lack. Right. You ever wondered why no one had to teach you that? I mean, everything else we're taught, we're taught how to drive, we're taught how to add, we're taught how to sing, we're taught how to do science, turn on the TV, play video games, play football. We're taught how to do everything. No one had to teach us that we don't like lack. Why do you think you see babies fighting over a toy 
in the sandbox. It ain't because they got some mythical sin nature. It's because they feel lack in that moment. And something in their hearts tells them the feeling of lack means I'm not in the state I ought to be in because I ought to be in a state where I have everything I need to partake of life and godliness. Right. That's where I ought to be. All of creation inherently knows this. I'll probably use this example in the message. But... When we were like teenagers, we would go to my friend Greg Sally's ki- parents' uh, camp, camping grounds. And they have thousands and thousands of deer hunting land. And they have this great camp set up there. We would go camp there. And they have rolling green hills and for miles to see and streams and rivers and cows and everything. Well, we're like 13 or 14. You know, you go out there with shotguns, you know, <laughs> shooting everything up. And just being, you know, like kids in Louisiana, mm-hmm. kids in Mississippi. And, man, one of these camping trips... We're running around with all of our shotguns on four-wheelers, and we come across this armadillo. Poor armadillo. So we, we, hop, off of our, we hop off of our four, four-wheelers and start chasing this armadillo with our guns, and it runs, and it runs into like these woods, and it runs into this place where it thinks there's a hole it can get under the ground, but it wasn't a hole. It was just like a cubby underneath a root. And so it was trapped. And we were trapped. It was trapped right there with all of us with our guns. You know that armadillo started squealing? Mm. Why? Why did it start to squeal? Well, what told that armadillo something's not right about that? How did even that armadillo know Mm. that death isn't right? Mm -hmm. What was telling that armadillo? That something wasn't right. Just so you guys know, we did not shoot that armadillo. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good at that age. No, I know. No, but you hear that thing squealing like yeah. that. Right. I'm tell- it resonated something in us. It's one thing if you've already shot it and then it starts to squeal. You mm-hmm. can't take it back. Mm-hmm. Right. But for the squealing, mm. the fear. Yeah. Please don't shoot me. Dude, we did not shoot that armadillo. And there was a bunch of us there. Not one of us thought, let's shoot that thing. Oh. But I think it, because I didn't understand what was going on, but subconsciously it gripped us on the inside. Mm-hmm. It was like immediately all of creation groans in travail. It was like immediately there was a unity, a oneness, that even this armadillo knows, right? What we all know. Right. It was like we're the same. We all know that, man. We all have this inherent thing where we know lack, to have a life that lacks isn't right. That's true. It's true that it isn't right to have a life that lacks. You were created to have the abundant life. That's why Jesus said, I am come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. He created you that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Ecclesiastes in the Amplified says, God put eternity in our hearts. He put a knowing in our heart that we were created for a life that doesn't lack. Yes. Well, every time we think there's lack in our life, it's inherently telling us something's amiss. We're not as we ought to be. That's the voice of accusation. We need to be justified from the voice that tells us something's amiss. You're not as you ought to be. And the only thing that can convince you of that is a life that overcomes lack, that even swallows it, that fills all things, that makes dead bones live. That's the only thing that can deliver your heart or protect your heart or defend your heart in the day you hear you're not as you ought to be. The only thing that will convince you you are as you ought to be is to possess a life that is incorruptible. That 
armadillo wouldn't be squealing if he had an incorruptible life. That's right. He wouldn't have been afraid of the sons of God. Right. Because he would have seen that there's no death in them. Right. There's no death in me. There's no lack. Yeah. Right? Right. Exactly. Hmm. Well, if we're not wanting to talk about much this morning, we, we covered a whole bunch that's, of stuff. <laughs> that's why the word of life is so important. Yes. Right? Yes. Exactly. That's what, that's what I'm on about. People yeah. ask me all the time, why don't you just preach that? You know so much about this. Why don't you just preach that? That can't create a blameless heart in people. Because I've seen what blames people's hearts. Yeah. And I see the root of it. And I see what will defend a person's heart from the blame. And I see the root of that. And I'm going to continuously preach the root of God's life. So it takes an axe to the root that tells people they're not as they ought to be. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. That was a great analogy. Thank you guys so much. You guys are awesome.